Well, good morning. Good morning, yes. This is a good problem. People don't want to sit down because they love each other so much. Welcome to church. My name is Daniel Grothy, and I'm thrilled to be here. I'm seeing a lot of friends out here, people I know and love, and yes, it is so good. I just want to say I love you. Some of you are like, well, we've never met. I love you. I've officiated some weddings in the room, some folks here, and it's just some, just God is doing a beautiful thing at New Life East, and I am so thrilled to see it. And uh, I love your pastor. I've known Andrew since I was 14 years old. I'm 38. That's a long time. And he's a man of God. He's one of, if, if life hit the fan, he's one of the first phone calls I make. And I respect him. I love him and Mandy and their four children. They are our people. We are their people. So uh, don't look now, but you are blessed here to have Andrew as your pastor. And I just want to say, I love how you've made this holy ground. Every Monday I come into this gym because my baby, my eight-year-old boy, has soccer practice in here. And it's, I can feel the residue of righteousness from Sunday. Monday here. And I think these people have turned this school into holy ground. So well done, New Life East. Give, give it up for yourselves. What we're going to do today is read through the book of the prophet Haggai. So if you have your Bibles and if you know where Haggai is, you're going to heaven. Um, go to the middle of the book, Matthew, and hang a left. Sticky pages of the Bible, two chapters, Haggai. So what I'll do is I'll read the first four verses from Haggai chapter 1, and then I'll pray And we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Haggai. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Now, some of you are going to have children in the future. This is a great name for you, Shealtiel. Um, If any of you name your child Shealtiel, I'll give you $100 cash. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and also to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. And here's what the word of the Lord is. The Lord Almighty says, these people, the saints, they say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? While this house remains a ruin, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we need you. We need you. We need you. If we've come here to hear a sharp talk or to, or to be entertained, we have wasted our time. If we come here just to connect and to shake hands, we have wasted our time. But if you are the God who still speaks, and if you've decided to show up today, then we'll be just fine. We're here in your presence, and we know you're here. We, we know that you're willing to do your work. We know that you're ready to speak. And so, Lord, I pray, may I decrease so that you might increase. I pray that all of us would go to our cars, children from the youngest one here to the oldest one here, we would go to our cars and go to our places of residence and we would say, surely God was in this place today. Change us, make us new, heal us, Lord, challenge us, shape us into the people of God for the world, we pray today. May the words 
of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Dates matter. Think of 1939 to 1945 in Germany. A moment. Think of 9-11-2001, New York City and, and the northeastern United States. A moment. Something you never recover from. Something that you never unsee. Something that you never unexperience. Well, 587 B.C. was one of those moments for the people of God. The wicked Babylonians came down and crushed them, decimated them, blew their place up, and they tore down that temple. Not one stone was left on another. It was just decimation. And these people were, were drug away into Babylon, and they had forgotten their homeland, and they were aching, and how can we sing our psalms while we're living in a foreign land? It was absolute decimation in 587 B.C., the prophet Haggai is writing in 520 B.C., so call it 57 years later. And he's writing, and, and it's actually a shift. There's a turn because the Babylonians had been destroyed by the Persians. So the Persians came in and knocked out the big bully Babylonians and sent them packing, and now the people of God are underneath a new ruler. But, but the, the Persians, it was kind of good news for the people of God. Surprisingly, the Persians were kind of like the, the Mr. Rogers of ancient regimes. You know, putting on their sweater and changing their... Well, and they said, why don't you go home? It's fine. It's okay. We, you actually can't really help us. You're so poor. You're so broken down. Your culture's decimated. We actually... You're kind of in the way. Why don't you go back to Jerusalem? And so the people of God start going back to Jerusalem. The Persians were good news for the people of God. But when they got back to Jerusalem, they discovered just how decimated the city was. Think about the city sitting there for 57 years, the temple, 57 years after it had been torn down, shrubs everywhere, weeds everywhere, just it's a pile of rubble. And these people immediately roll up their sleeves and they show that they're hardworking and handy and that they're unafraid of a project. I mean, their HGTV meets the kingdom of God and they're rebuilding and they're doing great work. And, but, but what you see here, there was one problem with their hardworking and handy enterprising. Their hard work was entirely self-focused. The house of God is there. They're over here building their paneled houses. They had made their own homes look like heaven while the house of God looked like hell. And through the prophet Haggai, Yahweh erupts with displeasure. He gives them some time, you know, settle back in. Let's, you know, there's just a grace period here. You're coming back from, the Persians have sent you home and look, I'm not expecting you to get to work overnight, but here we are 57 years later and Haggai finally says, God is done with your laziness about his house. God is done with your disinterest about his house. Here you are building your paneled houses and they look like heaven. And look at this place. So God says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house, your houses, my house remains a ruin? Notice the juxtaposition here. All throughout the book of Haggai, these two chapters, my house, your houses, my house, your houses. 
This is typically, typically where we create this false dichotomy or where we turn God into the bad guy. Yeah, I knew it. God doesn't want us enjoying anything. And we should all just kind of sign up for the vow of poverty and move to Calcutta and become missionaries of charity and carry on the work of St. Mother Teresa. Of, and, and, you know, we just got to suck it up while we're living this life. God doesn't want us happy. And God wants us to jump through all over the high bar and all the hoops. And God wants us to have a furrowed brow and to have a terrible existence. But when we get to heaven, finally, the streets of gold and the pearly gates. And that's going to be the day when God, we, we have done him a disservice by making him the bad guy here. We often think God is a drag. And if we want to follow him, our lives have to be a drag too. That's not what's going on here in the kingdom. God doesn't object to them having paneled houses. He objects to them prioritizing their households while neglecting his house. We've created a false dichotomy. God does not want us to be miserable. God does not want us to just suck it up and, and fight through until we get to that great day of the Lord. God, God is fine with paneled houses as long as we are invested in his house flourishing. Why? Why does God care about his house? Because he's some psychopath? No. Because the house of God is meant to be a storehouse to meet the needs of all the neglected. Now, see, if you think church is just a Sunday service where we set up and tear down and we gather once a week and beautiful, oh, great, the worship was so amazing and Jillian and Andrew. And like, if, if you think that that's what the house of God solely exists of, you're missing out on the life of the people of God. Now, now absolutely, the house of God has Sunday church or Friday night church as an element to it, but that's not the whole story. The people of God would have understood the church to be the center of their lives, the center of, of social and religious and cultural and economic life. Too many of us have turned church into just one gathering on one day of the week, but the church is the people of God living together and sharing life and praying for one another and helping each other raise and dedicate children. The church is the people of God putting all their chips on the table together with God, social, political, religious, economic, cultural, all of it coming together. And God's house was torn down. There was no communal life. There was just people taking care of number one. There was no house of God. There were just individual paneled houses. And God says, no more. I have always been the God of the people. I have always been the God who has gathered. Abraham, I will bless you and make you and Sarah a blessing. And through your seed, I will bless all the nations of the earth. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And these people had forgotten the communal life of the saints. So the question I want to ask today is what happens when we live self-focused lives? Haggai goes on to answer that. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much. Look at look what he's saying here. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways and go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected to see much, but it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? God's asking a question. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy 
with your own house. We have three kids. Lillian is 13. Wilson is 11. Wakely's almost nine. And you know, if it, every place has got a little, have, have a little coin jar, right? You come at the end of the day and you put your money in and we sit down with the kids. And we like to talk about money with our kids because, you know, there's no sense ignoring it. If they leave our house and they don't know about money, they don't talk about money, they don't learn how to steward what God has given us, we have failed as parents. And so we talk and we sit down and we get out the coins and we do, sometimes I'll go get a hundred $100 in $1 bills from the bank, and I'll put it on the table, and we'll talk through And Okay, if your business is doing this, and, and you sell this much, how much do you get? We're, we're crunching numbers, and we're talking percentages, and, and um, we play poker with the kids. And No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You know, make it rain around the house, taking candy from a baby. We like to be frugal in our house. And my wife, half of her closet is from Goodwill. She's not embarrassed when I say that. She's proud when I say that. She's just looking for a deal everywhere. And, and we, just, we just like to talk about money with our kids because it's, it's a discipleship issue. It's about being decent human beings. It's about bearing the image of God. Money has a lot to do with that. And so we play with the kids and we talk with the kids and we work with the kids. And actually our daughter Lillian just started her first small business. Our boys have a little small business. They sell eggs. We've got chickens and so they sell eggs, and so they're, you know, saving up their money. And Lillian, she's 13. She's almost 14. She's grown, you know. And she started her first business this year. She bought too many golden doodles, and she wanted to be a dog breeder. And, and her little mini golden doodle is pregnant, and in the next 10 to 14 days, we're going to have our first litter of little puppies. And so Lillian's excited. But we had to front the capital because she didn't have the coin. So I told her, I'll give you a 7% interest loan. No, I'm just kidding, 0% interest. But we bought the dogs for her, you know, $2,000 for a dog. Some of you are like, that's demonic. I agree. Um, but we bought the dogs, and she did all the work. And she's, in the last year since she's had the dog, she's been working, and she's been cleaning, and she's been doing extra chores, and she's been going to something new boutique to help Miss Mindy sell dresses. And she's just been going really hard. And anytime she gets money, she, brings, she, she ties off the top, because we taught her about that, 10%. And then she brings us the 90, and she goes, I just want to be out of debt. You know, I just want to, I want to own this thing free and clear. And so two weeks from now, we'll have the first litter and she's $50 away from owning those dogs cash. Really proud of our girl, really proud of our girl. So I just want you to know, we, money's, we can talk about this here. We're, we're, we're saints, but, but Haggai hears from the Lord and the Lord talks to them about them sort of taking care of number one and protecting and building their paneled houses while his house lay in ruins. God speaks to them and, and he tells them what it's like. And, and I, I brought my little Lululemon bag here because about once a year I'll buy one thing for Lisa. I take out a home equity line of credit to go buy something for Lisa. And so um, I, bu- I bought her some things and and so they gave us this bag. And, and Haggai says that when we live our self-focused lives where we're just taking care of number one, he says, you eat, but, but you're never full. And you drink, but you're still thirsty. And, and, and you ought to have enough, but it feels like there's scarcity. What he says is when you live self-focused lives, it's like you're taking your money and you just start, you just start, you just, um, where's it all going? It, why am I not happy? Like, it, it feels like I have enough, but it, he says, when you, when you take care of yourself, it's like you, you think you're storing it away, but it just keeps slipping away from you. Like, like stinginess actually doesn't work and greed actually slips away through the fingers. And, and to be people who don't know about the community and you just know about taking care of yourself, you have plenty, but it, it just somehow isn't enough for you. 
just keeps moving on you. It's a moving target. Joy is evasive and peace is elusive and hope for the future. And, and, and you think, you know, I'm paying my bills and the money's there, but why do I not have what I need? And Haggai says, because you've, you've lost sight of the community of faith. Purse with holes in it when we live for ourselves. Surprisingly, the people of God heard. They listened. They paid attention. They sobered up. Yes, Lord, we hear your word and we repent and we turn and they start rebuilding the walls. They start, they start putting all their chips on the table again. They start living as the people. And it says in, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. They, they started obeying. They feared the Lord. They heard him and they started rebuilding the temple. But it wasn't in their own strength. I love seeing this here. Even in the Old Testament, we find grace setting the pace. It says in in verse 14 that the Lord stirred up the spirit of the people. The Lord stirred them up. He woke them up. He said, look, how's that working out for you, building just your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Aren't you lonely? And aren't, aren't you missing out on the great gift of being with the people of God? And so the Lord stirs them up, and they feared the Lord, and they started rebuilding the temple. Let me just say it as clearly as I can, unless you misheard me here. I, I need to be very clear about this. Remember, money isn't bad. Money is not bad. God is not mad at you if you have money. God is not wagging the finger. Oh, you should be like Teresa. And like, look, that Teresa is Teresa, and she was following God's call for her. But I, I'm seeing business owners in the house here, and God has blessed you, and he's challenged you, and he's called you to go for it. Why? He wants to bless you to make you a blessing. And so if we get sort of soft about this and we get apologetic about what God has given us and what God has called us to do, actually everyone suffers. So I'm just going to say it. Money isn't bad. Amen. Okay, thank you. But don't ever forget what money is for. It's both. Money isn't bad. And don't ever forget what money is for. Last Friday night, uh, two Friday nights ago, nine days ago, a couple came up to me after the service. Very sweet. You can tell, you know when you're just with like salt of the earth, decent, hardworking people, you know, Carhartt coat on and shook his hand, felt like, you know, sandpaper. Oh, yeah, hardworking. And, and he said, God has called us to give a scary gift. I said, okay. What do you mean? He said, we're, we've been tithers and we, we, we like to keep our eyes open, but we feel like You know, we're at this stage in our marriage now where God has really called us to give a scary gift. And we know about an issue here in the church, uh, a man here in the church. And I said, okay. He said, will you be here Sunday? And I said, yeah. So I was there last Sunday at North and he came down to me at the altar after the service. And he handed me an envelope with $5,100 bills in it. $5,000. And he said, here's the guy's number. Don't tell him who. Don't say a word. Just make it happen. So that was at 10.30. I texted the guy, who I don't know, and I said, hey, can you meet me at the church? Trust me. <laughs> You're going to want to meet me at the church. So he comes up at 12.45 after the second service. He walks in the lobby. This is the first time I'm meeting him. So I, I, I see this guy, big, big dude, strong dude. He's fighting a custody battle right now, and, and he's, been, he's been faithful. He's been trying to take care of, do his part. But he said, I, I handed him this envelope, and I said, 
some, someone in the church just heard about your issue and they want you to know God is for you and they are for you. And I handed him $5,000 and he collapsed, sobbing, heaving, ugly crying. I'm ugly crying. I don't even know this guy's name. And I'm holding his head and we're ugly crying together in COVID. We got our heads rubbing together, you know. <laughs> and he finally composed himself enough to say, I got a call from my lawyer on Friday and they said, if I don't pay the $5,000 retainer fee, they're dropping me this week. $5,000. I hand it to him in the lobby. Money isn't bad. Thank God those people had money. There was nothing wrong with them having money, but thankfully they knew what it was for. There's a lady at the church. She comes up to me multiple times through the year, and, and she hands me an envelope. And one, the first time she handed me an envelope, I just you know, thought it was a, just a card, no big deal. I, I took it to my office, and I opened it up, and a $20,000 check falls out. And I took my breath away. Like, what in the world? And she said, God has given me a burden for single parents and for the elderly vulnerable in our church. Use this money to take care of the elderly vulnerable and the single parents. And I looked at the top left of the check and it said her name and it said apartment number dot, dot, dot. I'm thinking, this is Broadmoor money. Like, what are you, t- apartment number? And here you are, you've got the ability to give a $20,000 check and, and you're living in an apartment. And she said to me one time, she goes, yeah, I'm living in an apartment so I can live like this. God has blessed me, and he said that it's not yours. Make sure you just keep giving it, and I'll keep blessing you, and you just keep giving it, and I'll keep blessing you. She's done that three times this year out of nowhere. Just thank God she has money, and thank God she knows what it's for. Can you say amen? The question is why... Like, why did Andrew stand up here and talk about tithes and offerings? Is it because we want, we aspire to have bigger buildings? We don't need a bigger building. Lord God, have mercy. We have a massive building up north. Why do we stand up here? Because we need Andrew to drive to church in a Hummer. No. Why do we, why do we call people to participate in the communal act of giving tithes and offerings, hard-earned money? You go out Monday through Saturday, and you knock it down, and you sweat, and you work hard, and you make difficult phone calls, and sometimes you have to fire people, and you're negotiating contracts Why do we come to the church and say, and now we invite you to give to the Lord of your tithes and offerings? We do that because there are so many people who need help. There are so many needs. Our phones ring off the hook every single week with what, what, what people are living in and the despair and the hopelessness and, and the heartbreak. And we give because when we pool our resources together, I don't have enough money to change all of those stories, but somehow by the Spirit of God together we do. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, and there were no needy ones among them. Why? Because people sometimes they'd sell land and they'd just bring the money to the church and they say, give it to whoever needs it, like this lady who lives in an apartment. There were no needy ones among them because the people of God understood what it was like to worship as the community of saints. Some of you are hearing these stories and you're thinking, I wish I could give 5K like those people. I wish I could drop a check like that in the mail. I just, that's not my story. My daughter Lillian came to me seven years ago and our little friend Brody, Brody Linscombe, he was two years old when he got diagnosed with cancer and it was Heartbreaking. Jordan and Mindy, his parents, I stood in their wedding. I went to college with them. We sit, Jordan and I lived in the same floor at, at Oral Roberts University. Like, these are our people. And their little two-year-old boy, Brody, he, 
I mean, he's on the verge. Is he going to live? Father, please let him live. Please heal him, Lord. And he's going to Denver Children's chemo treatment after chemo treatment after chemo treatment. He's, he's lost his hair. And, and Brody was there on Friday night as this big stallion eight-year-old. Praise the Lord. He's healed and free of cancer. Amen. But Lillian came to me about seven years ago, six years ago, when Brody was in the middle of his chemo treatments. And she must have been, she would have been seven years old at the time. And she said, Dad, I want to pay for one of Brody's chemo treatments. Like a, a dart right to my soul. So she starts working. She starts cleaning house and doing extra chores and I'll clean the bathrooms mom I don't care I'll just do whatever it takes I want to pay for one of Brody's chemo treatments she's getting her friends at school and church together and they're doing little bake sales and I've never made more banana bread than than that season of my life and she's selling stuff and brokering going to Goodwill and buying things for five dollars and selling on Craigslist for ten dollars and she's just enterprising she wants to pay for Brody's chemo treatment just one of them and I remember the day Brody, he, he couldn't come out because he couldn't get sick. And so he's, he's behind his glass door at his home. And we walk up to his front door. And we, we take the little envelope that Lillian and her friends had worked for. And we put it underneath their little mat on the front door. And we said, we love you, Brody. It was $120. Did it change the whole story? No. Did it change the environment? Yes. Was there hope? Yes. Was it life in the kingdom of God? Yes. Is this who God has called us to be? Yes. Does this bring true joy? Yes. Is this a purse that doesn't have a hole in the bottom? Like when you live like this, you actually catch what God gives you. <laughs> when you live just taking care of your paneled house, when you live just taking care of your own concerns, when you don't live thinking about someone else's chemo treatment, you have, you have it seems like it ought to be enough, but it just keeps falling through. But but when we live with our eyes open, with our hearts open to the community of faith, when we live as if the church is not just a Sunday morning gathering, but the church is the people of God being the people of God with and for each other, something happens. This is the kind of life that I'm calling you into today. This is the kind of life that God has for us. And I promise you, I've been in the church for 38 years. My parents taught me to live this way. I promise you, it is the life that is truly life. You want to be rich? Be a part of the people of God. You want to have enough? Open your hearts and open your pocketbooks. You want to gain the kingdom of God in this life and then find your way into it, into the eternal kingdom of God? Live like this. Could you quiet your hearts? And prepare, I want you to see that this is who Jesus is. I want to tell you about a man who was the richest man there ever was. Jesus Christ the Lord, no lack, no shortage, only peace, only vitality, only fullness of life, only joy. His, his fellowship with his Father, which is the power of the Spirit, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Talk about riches. But Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich, but he became poor, so that through his poverty you and I might become rich. This is the life of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, we ask you, to make us like yourself. Would you open your hands just right there as you maybe put them in your lap? And we're going to come to the table of the Lord here in just a minute. But 
Lord, here we are opening our hands. In a really closed-fisted world, we open our hands. Here we are just opening our hearts to you, make them soft. In a world that is dog-eat-dog competitive, Lord, we pray that you'd make us tender, that you'd make us generous, that you'd make us sweet-spirited, that you'd make us like that, that couple that came and changed the story for that single dad, that you'd make us like that lady who lives in an apartment for the sake of the kingdom, that you'd make us like that little girl who wanted to pay for a chemo treatment. Make us like Jesus is what we're praying. And Lord, I pray that 10, 20, 30 years from now, we would see the difference between living a part of the, the world's system and living a part of the kingdom's call. Lord, let us be kingdom people. And so I pray over New Life East. I pray that you would be a house that is a storehouse for all the needs of the neglected. I pray that God would send people here who need what you have. I pray that God would send people here who are broken so that you as a congregation can put them back together. I pray that God would send the lonely people here so that what the psalmist said would be true, that God sets the lonely into families. I pray, Lord, that people would be rehomed and refamilied and restored in this congregation. Let New Life East be marked by this kind of call. So, Lord, I pray, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, right here in this congregation. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning, family. What a word. What a word. And as you're holding your elements in your hand this morning, we remember that God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. And to be called the people of God in the world is to be caught up in the love of God that is an ongoing gift to the world. So the great repentance that we make every week is just that in our lives, in some way, the love that God is and has, the love that God intends to shower the world with, somehow it stopped with us. <laughs> what we do when we come to this moment is we're opening our hearts up again. So we're saying that torrent of love that is the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it flow through us again to the world just as you intend. We're called the body of Christ, by the way. Do you know what that means? That in the same way that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that God so loves the world still that he gives the body of his son, which is the church. It's us. So when we surrender ourselves to the spirit of God, we're surrendering ourselves to that, the desire of God to ongoingly give himself to the world. And so we remember the Lord Jesus, that on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. If you got the bread in your hands, would you just break it this morning? And he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for you. Let's take it together. And we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, after the bread, he took the cup. And he said, take from this, all of you, and drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now listen, this is what the new covenant does. The new covenant writes the ways of God upon our hearts. 
It inscribes the character of God upon our personalities, our souls, so that we become as God is in the world. This is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Lord Jesus, as we take the cup to our lips this morning, we ask that you would defeat all selfishness in us, that you would crush self-interest in us, that you would make us as you are in the world, generous, open-hearted, and longing to see the world blessed and healed. Grant that we are asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the cup of salvation. Let's drink it together. And now let's respond with this song of worship.
never failed. Praise God. Don't you love Jesus? Bread for the journey, one more time. You're always making good your promises to us. And we're grateful. Do you open your hands like this and receive this benediction as you go? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Why, thank you. Can we give it up for Daniel Grothy one more time this morning? I'll invite our altar ministry team to come down this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. Remember, if you're new, we got a gift for you. If you're new or new-ish, Sign up for Connect Center for uh, New Life Next next week. And then also, Travis Hearn, are you here this morning? Travis, wave at us. Travis leads military prayer in between both of the services here. Uh, so if you're military or family of military, we've got a, a little gathering, time of prayer and connection that happens. Travis will lead you there. So just connect with him. Okay, that's it. We love you. Go in the grace and the peace of the Lord. Go in peace to love and serve the world. We'll see you next week.